Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Event Brew, where your favorite event profs drink their favorite drinks and talk about how it really is. Uh, I'm so excited because uh, there's a small crew today. This brew crew is a little limited team on here, and I'm joined across the table from Nick Borelli of All Seated. Yeah, we have a table uh, <laughs> across from us. The table, my desk, the and your desk, of, virtually. Yeah, the length of uh, uh, Minnesota to Arizona. <laughs> very very big table across state lines i love it (laughs) tui and dustin are out on assignment as we say but they'll probably be back next week so stay tuned to that episode and if you really don't like either of us you know there's 500 more episodes to listen to so (laughs) if you you need to but um before we jump into today's topic let's talk about what we're sipping on today nick what do you got in your cup what what's your delicious beverage of choice yeah so i mean uh as exciting as it is uh i i am a like I, I buy this stuff like crazy. It's the the lime cucumber Gatorade. It's Ooh. it's the best. Uh, I have a couple dozen of them. It's it's just like it's for the people that don't like Gatorade. I guess uh, yeah. it's not sweet uh, and it's uh, it's just really refreshing. I like cucumber water too. Do you like cucumber water? Yeah, I love cucumber water. Oh my gosh, it's that Fire same food. kind of profile right you know where it's, but it's like, got like a little oh, bit of sweet like with the lime if, I for right. this for sure yeah yeah but like if you like that like yeah. the same reason i like like uh whole foods uh no it's a uh, the whole foods i think so the cuc- uh, the jalapeno lime aid Ooh. anything that's like either like dry that yeah. cuts the sweetness or spicy that cuts the sweetness is just my jam so yeah heck yeah. anyways gatorade makes this and it's uh usually and if you can't find it if you've never seen anywhere anywhere that has like um like uh was it ethnic food aisles or whatever or like food that is like that it's it's seemingly i think it's a flavor profile that's like really south of the border it's like in the bargain stores because no one wants to drink it (laughs) i guess it's just not i mean if you have like four or five flavors of gatorade this is not going to be in the mix it's only if you have like 12. yeah Uh, but it ends up being like anywhere there's like spanish food or whatever like if they sell that apparently it's like a bigger like a flavor profile that's like more resonant in in sort of like uh you know like latin uh dominant area so i don't know anyways it's a big i'm a big fan of it i love it yeah I, i'm definitely a huge cucumber water if i got onto cucumber water after there's a local brewery here called oso um hmm. i don't remember what like oso stands for yeah and they basically do cucumber water when they serve it out to you and i was just like oh this is so good why did right. i ever think of this it's like the it's- spa drink the, the challenge with cucumber waters, you can't leave the cucumbers in there too long, though, because oh, yeah. then it like becomes like, dissolve. yeah, dissolve and mushy. And then you're like, and then it's too cucumbery. It's like, there's definitely like a middle ground for sure. There's cucumber flavored gins that are also like really great. I mean, mm. I know the gym is a, or gin is a hit and miss with a lot of people, but yeah, uh, same reason I think that a lot of people don't like gin. A lot of people don't like, like, uh, 
really sweet things cucumber has a way of just make making things sort of even out yeah yeah like it uh like smooths it out for sure yeah totally um well, I'm not, drinking, I'm not drinking I'm cucumber not cucumber water for sure, but uh, today I am drinking actually this pineapple tea um, that my girlfriend Della made for me, uh, or not made for us, I guess, and I just ended up drinking most of it. Uh, but we did like the classic Arizona, put it in a jug outside, like let the oh. sun hit it, sort of like sun tea stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty fire, so I think we'll make some more of it this weekend. Um, and yeah, I think it's, a, if I remember right too, it's from the Dole Plantation too in actual Hawaii too. So it's pretty, pretty bomb. Probably um, so not yeah. cheap if it's being exported. You know, I have no, I, I'm going to ask her that too. It's like, yeah, yeah what, what, what did it actually cost? But I'm, Sounds you know, I, it's, a, it's yummy. It's yummy too. It's like that, right? Like amount of sweetness and it's hard to not find something that's too sweet for sure. Yeah. Um, well, you're not here to talk about uh, uh, drinks today. You're, everyone wants to talk about events, and that's why they're listening to Event Brew. Um, so today's topic, we wanted to talk about kind of a, a big uh, a trend a wave across the industry. And we've talked about it a little bit on uh, Event Tech podcast related to Event Tech related labor specifically. But I think this is a larger trend that we're seeing even with like our clients. Um, we recently were doing an event last week in Miami and that their their team was significantly cut down they had less people on their team and what's funny not funny this isn't funny at all but they 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 had to execute this event also with less people than they had from an already cut down team so they were like on fumes in terms of their team able to execute this event so i think that um this was just a bigger trend that i was seeing i wanted to kind of like have us talk about like what what do you do in the case where you have to execute events with a limited team when there's limited, you know, resources of people around you? Um, sometimes not by, in terms of like the business might have cut some of your staff. It might be that people got sick from COVID, you know, whatever it may be, but, you know, operating on a limited team. So what do you what are you kind of seeing in the industry right now, Nick, in terms of like this this idea of executing on a reduced team? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, reductions all over the place due to the impact of, of supply chain uh, that's made it difficult for organizations to be able to thrive. I've seen it uh, in anticipation of a recession when it comes to the tech industry. Like, that's why there's widespread layoffs. Like, it, it, it's just a, it's just a every single technology company is going to lay some people off in the next if they haven't already in the next few weeks. Uh, simply because of that's just the expectations of shareholders uh, in anticipation of shoring up uh, funds for future uh, recessions that are, I guess, like likely, especially if you, uh, you know, will it to be so almost, it just seems to be the case at this point. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so the technology companies are, so that means maybe some of your clients might be that, or they, they certainly, you're going to be utilizing technology. So you're going to feel some uh, burn there. Uh, and then if your event team itself is is done, it, it's uh, even more challenging. I mean, the the first thing that comes to mind for me is cross training. Uh, you know, like mm -hmm. I understand that most of us are specialists, and and really everything that we talk about on the show is usually around the ideal uh, situation. It's we're kind of trying to be, oftentimes. Um, inspirational you know we, we should wear less hats we should uh bring in specialists etc all that stuff is totally true and like and ideally uh you want to always uh you know be doing things at an excellent level and that requires you to have focus and focus means uh not being scatterbrained and having too much on your plate so i, I believe in all that stuff uh so uh that all said uh in the short term when you're pivoting and reacting to a situation 
that's different than planning to fail, right? So I think first let's talk about the short term of like you're in a situation where something uh, is not was wasn't part of the initial plan going in, and you have less team members. It's uh, you know you you had maybe you had to make cuts, and this is within you know a couple months of that, and there wasn't any time to change the plan, or uh, like you said, there's some kind of uh, people were sick or whatever. Cross training is a preparation so people have uh, some other skill set on the team, so the show continues, so it shows show goes on. Um, what that means practically for the event. Uh, is that you uh, have people in your meetings who might not necessarily have to do anything, but they have an awareness and and they know, you know, they they know what the priorities are. They know what uh, what mm. was in the meetings and it's such. And it might seem like an extra, like a waste of time, but honestly, like yeah. somebody else in an in an extra meeting uh, that doesn't have a, a crucial role to play with that, and and vice versa. Uh, is is one way that it's pretty easy to implement uh, that. And plus, the other upshot of it is, is that you have someone in the meeting who um, is asking questions that don't like about things that don't impact them directly. So they actually it might not uh, say the right thing, even though the, the thing might end up adding more time or more work for someone. Uh, if, it's funny when you um, <laughs> when you don't have to do the work. Uh, the kind of ideas you have, you know, like it, sometimes there's people that are held back uh, on uh, what you say because you're like, oh, if I say this, it means I'm going to have to do more work. Uh, so if you have someone else in there, uh, then you might have the ability to, you know, people that are going to say the right thing no matter what, because it doesn't really impact them. Um, but yeah, the meetings part, I think, is especially just an awareness. Like if, if no Exposure. one knows what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, writing everything down. I mean, that's a key well, to well, project jump, management. Jump yeah, I want to jump on that writing everything down while you're saying that too. Like when it comes to cross training, like this is something that I think events really don't do well. Event people don't do well is documentation. In fact, like I think most people hate documentation. And like anybody from Endless who's listening to this right now is just like, oh, well, documentation. Oh my gosh. And like we have like a whole internal wiki. We use a tool called Slab to write everything down. And it's really hard because like, you know, a lot of times when you're needing to update that documentation is when someone's departing the company or, you know, you need, you know, it's you're in your busiest season and, you know, you're, you're onboarding someone else to come and help out. And, you know, you need you need to say, hey, like update this document that explains how to do your job, you know. Um, another argument I hear a lot of times, too, is like, why would I write down how to do my job? Like, that's why you hired me, you know, like am I giving away my secret sauce? But like documentation is what protects your organization. And, uh, you know, I think it's really, really important to write it all down in the step by step process because it makes cross training a lot easier like if you have to like someone departs the company or you have to you know d decrease your headcount on your your stuff you can immediately say oh and by the way here's how to do their job here's some some tips and tricks here's some links and articles and things like that and making it easily updatable and the, the another tool that i really like for us is called trainial uh, my friend chris ron's doing building that tool which gives like step-by-step -step guides on how to do things too but you know build a use a tool that like pings and notifies people to go and update it regularly. We use like a verification within slab for like every month, every two, you know, quarter or every year or every two years, it pings them and says, Hey, this document's out of date. Now it needs verification again. And then you re verify it. And it shows a nice green check of confidence at the top for everyone to know. But I think documentation is like really, really huge. Um, 
I the short-sighted thing, by the way, as far as people saying that they don't want to kind of like build their job out so anybody can do it uh, yeah. because, you know, it's it sounds like it's, you're making them replaceable. My, my counter argument to that would be uh, actually what it allows you to do, which every or, which every, you know, serious team member should be thinking about is it allows you to train your replacement as you go up. Yeah. So like if yeah. you're if you're if you're someone who is forward thinking as far as your your growth. Um, one of the biggest challenges that you would have and an organization has in letting someone uh, continue on their career path is being able to replace that person in a way that, that protects the work that they did that you would obviously find, you know, good. Uh, and um, that's the thing that I would say, like any team member who is it was doing that, obviously, I, is a career minded person who's looking for uh, growth. It's like, look, I can, you know, if they should come to a, a um, an annual uh, and say, I've built, you know, I can, I can find my successor and I can teach that person in a way that is fast and I can, I can move up quickly because I have documented the exact process and built it down to a science to the degree that like, you know, uh, I, I can, uh, help tackle bigger problems at this point because I've solved this, like I've made this repeatable. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that's a big deal for an organization. And obviously, you know, then it also shows that that person cares about the organization in general enough to protect the investment of their time and investment, uh, of, of the, the overall goal of the company. And like that, all those things are huge signs to an organization that this is the kind of person that you'd want to advance. And they gave you the mm -hmm. tools to help you do it. Yeah. And I think like good, like good managers too know how to like document their work really well. I think one I thing I'll add in too is like. You know, being a part of an organization is like a selfless act in a lot of ways, right? Like you have to give and contribute with sometimes not knowing if you're going to get the return on that contribution. Can you imagine if everyone in the in the company decided not to document? Well, now all of a sudden there's zero documentation. Now imagine that that you it's not you who has to part of the company, but your colleague right across the seat from you. And then now they're handed to you and there's zero documentation. You know, it would really suck if that were to happen in that case. And that's why I think it's like also about like encouraging each other that documentation is a good thing to have on there too. I got another uh, tip for when it comes to uh, executing events on a, on a reduced staff and then um, feel free to build on it. If you got another one, Nick, sure. um, one is, 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 don't like in the immediate pain that you feel a lot of times we turn to suppliers to help us out right and this is the like this is coming from a supplier who wants you to rely on their supplier so then that way i have job security but i will tell you that there are so many times that i talk to clients and they 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 are like i love want to work with you you would totally kill it at our event you're you're actually thinking you're asking me the right questions but i'm too reliant on my supplier because they know how to execute my event so like that's probably the big like you know um uh, a pitfall that i can see happen is sometimes like when this happens we end up leaning on our suppliers and telling our suppliers hey yeah, build a run show tell us what to do like do put this all together and then you get stuck being like when you want to scale back up or you want to change your event or you want your that suppliers now screwing up, you're reliant on them because they know how to do your show better than you. And that's a really scary place to kind of be in when it comes to your event. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, they may be in a situation similar to you as well. Uh, yeah. Maybe even more so because they may be end up in a, in a more volatile situation because uh, they're further down, you know, the, the rung uh, of being able to control things. So, um, yeah, I mean, being uh, any time that you're at the the mercy of other people uh, is a bad p position to be in. Frankly, uh, you want to be able to have the, the the relationship based on 
mutual trust and skills and not uh, through hostage, you know, yeah. situations. So, I mean, it's not it's not ideal for anyone, frankly. It's not a, it's not a good uh, foundation for a relationship. And but it's easy to have happen. You're right, because like that is a pretty default uh, practice is just like, well, I'll just sub hire everything out and, uh, you know, get down to the core of the, of the least amount of people. And then your profitability, frankly, suffers quite a bit as well. Uh, likely, you know, from, from having that, that stuff subbed out, uh, and then you're just, you're not that strong. Like you want to, you want to be strong for your suppliers too. You know, like yeah. you want to be able to, uh, you know, have a, a good enough profitability where you can have better suppliers as opposed to, uh, relying on low rung suppliers that, uh, that have, you know, that do the work for you because you have to, uh, sort of race to the bottom in order to, uh, accommodate the situation that you're in. So there's a lot of negatives with that if you get that far but it, there, there's a healthy i guess medium yeah that's what i was gonna say i realized i did this probably in the wrong order which was like i probably would also pitch for you to lean on your suppliers in a lot of ways too like you know they're there to help out in a lot of ways like obviously i gave you a caveat to not lean too much on it you want like lean on your suppliers but mix in good documentation and these other processes that we're probably going to talk about Correct. i think you can you can you can make it so you yeah. don't become reliant on your suppliers. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was I was talking more about the the reliance element of it as opposed to the collaborative. I think a, a, a stronger collaboration with your suppliers and a transparency of the situation that you're in is, is certainly fine. I I think it's it's when I've seen organizations sort of uh, replace people with their suppliers and and not be in the know of what's happening. It's like I don't know what's mm -hmm. happening. That that's done by our, you know this this group or that group, mm -hmm. and you lose the control. And you lose the awareness and it, it, you know, obviously at that point they're, you know, they're sort of part of your show, but then they are part of your team, uh, which is fine. But they also, you, you don't know what they know. Uh, and in that instance, uh, your ability to climb up is, is not going to happen. Like they're going to protect, like we were talking about, about team members protecting mm -hmm. their fiefdoms and not sharing their documentation and stuff like that. Like there's no way. You know, I shouldn't say no way. There's a lot, lot less situation of, of that <laughs> happening unless you're in the control uh, of a third party. Like their their job is to you know make you know continue working with them. So mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's a little bit different. But yeah, I, ultimately, I think your community in general is is another thing you can leverage when you're in a situation uh, where you um, might have a reduced staff. Uh, you may be able to have some temp uh, people that would come in, you know, in yeah. a situation. Some contractors uh, come in, potentially. Right. And not even the, the, the normal subcontractors, especially if it's a limited, you know, capacity. You might have people within your your professional network who are peers uh, who are not in the midst of, a, you know, the busy part of their cycle, or et cetera, that you might be able to lean on for help. Um, that's where I think there's another a strong um, value in, like, let's say, association uh, act, act, uh, activity, you know, not just membership, but actually being active in that association and knowing who has mm -hmm. flexible time and who has the skill sets and, and those kinds of things. When you, when you aren't under the gun and having an awareness of who has these strengths, you'd be like, you know, who's really organized. It's this person. <laughs> like th it's the secondary skills. It's not, it's not yeah. their main skill, but it might just be their secondary skill. Like all I really need is someone who can, you know, just come through all of this stuff and, and help, you know, in the, in the short term, those are the kind of things that you you discover about people when you're in the trenches with them in, in, in kind of association volunteer work. At least I've discovered that avenue to be very valuable for me. 
um, that might be something that gets you out of a pinch for sure. I've known a lot of companies actually that have had situations where maybe it's it's growth uh, and they've taken on jobs that are like, you know, uh, that put them at almost capacity issues. Like there's the mm-hmm. good side of, let's say, being short manned. It's really short manned because you've taken on so much work. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess that's possible too, right? I mean, not, not I guess, I know. And in that instance, I've seen lots of times where it gives you the opportunity to uh, leverage your network in order to expand your what you can uh, accomplish. Uh, and, and sometimes that gives you the ability to maybe even work with a company, not an individual who does something similar to you that might be considered a competitor, but you have the opportunity to create some kind of, um, you know, a win-win for everyone. And then from that, I mean, I, I've even seen organizations end up merging and buying one or the other uh, because they've been in, in situations where they've had to work together on a larger thing. I've seen that a lot when it comes to um, citywide events that are beyond the capacity of the city. Uh, and then it ends up being like contracts that people uh, get uh, that uh, are, again, larger scope wise than they normally have and just more work than they normally deal with. Um, you know, an event, Super Bowl comes to town or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yep. And then you know, everyone's short staff at that point. Right. And, and in that instance, uh, they start using the people that they've met, you know, in, in conferences, their associations outside of their own cities, because the city actually runs out of people. It's like the, the, the <laughs> yeah, city, yeah. you know, like I've seen event communities absolutely have to reach out to other communities uh, with lots of, uh, of, of large uh, profile events. Um, because it's like maybe it's a middle market city that takes on some kind of large national event that they don't normally hold. It's not like the, I'm trying to think of like the Detroit has the, it's the big event, the auto show. Yeah. So Detroit is like a city that's completely ready to have a a whole bunch of team members, uh, that are in a pool that are available like one time a year. Uh, and, and, but it's annual so they can anticipate it, but it's like when the Super Bowl comes to town and you're like (laughs) Indianapolis, it's like, what do you do? You're not, you're not, it's not like if it comes to Los Angeles or New York where there's just, you know, service and hospitality people all over the place. So, um, those kind of, you know, even outside of your own city connections are super valuable to have, uh, with people. Uh, and I've seen that, especially in the catering industry. I've known a lot of caterers who, uh, for the RNC and the DNC, like I know a number of them that actually go to the cities of members of their, of their associations and are, have, have done a bunch of RNCs and done a bunch of DNCs and, uh, they know ahead of time where this, where those are going to be. And then they go to the, the caters within their thing. And it's like, okay, we can back you up. We've been here before you take on the contract. You're going to win the contract because you have all these people on your network now that are part of your team. I mean, even winning bids, you know, when yes. short staffed, sometimes you find that you're like, oh, your network actually is uh, kind of a, a, a talent pool. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got on, I think that's such a good point too, like of being prepared for that sort of thing. And I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from when you, when they're short staffed in those same ways, like in cities, like when I remember we felt it, like when I was just starting the company, like I think 2008, 2009, we had the Super Bowl, we had like, uh, like Barrett Jackson, which is a big auto show. We have waste management open. So like if the Super Bowl comes to like Phoenix, it was like the first time in a long time it like was so hard because there's already two like huge citywide events happening simultaneously then you sprinkle in the the conferences and all this other stuff inside of it and then plus everybody else's events it was just like the city got completely tapped out and i think that's really where the network becomes like really really powerful like you're saying yeah sometimes it's a, it's good to, if you're if you're uh you know future minded think about having a, a like a city you know uh network you know a local network and an outside of the local network because in instances where those things come in uh 
to a city, everyone's tapped out. And the person and the, and the teams that have a network that extends outside of their city are the ones that win bids, the ones that can fulfill mm -hmm. contracts, and the ones that don't, don't. The ones that are purely local, that haven't invested in uh, a network that exceeds the, the boundaries of their city. Like, they just can't. You know, or they get really small events or like their their growth is certainly. But these are like these are supposed to be things where your CVBs go out and spend a lot of money and do a lot of tax breaks in order for you as a member or you as a as a hospitality provider to benefit from. And if you can't benefit from it, then it's like not oh, a shame, you know, because like, they yeah. they do a lot of work to secure those things. Uh, and I've been in the situations where working with CVBs uh, in the past and, and know like how they, you know, sort of shift who gets certain things or, or you know, or, yeah. or, and it really comes down to capacity and uh, proven track record. And, and when you can bolster what you do, um, the other element of it is, is diversification. So like you talk about, mm. you know, having a team uh, that is, uh, you know, able to rebound from situations, a, a diverse team with lots of different uh, backgrounds and hiring people who have done things in the past. Like for instance, I have been a caterer and I've worked in mm -hmm. audiovisual, I've worked in entertainment, uh, I've worked for event designers. Uh, so I, I have- Finding more Swiss army knife people. Yeah, you know, there's some value to that, right? You know, because like you, you might be able to pinch hit or help or have something that you would, you know, be able to bring to the table. Uh, outside of your current role. So there is something to be said about hiring practices of people who uh, have a diverse skill set. Uh, and maybe there's something, you know, you're between one person and the other, and, and that person has a another skill set. I would say that probably the best broad skill set outside of the, any kind of specific special specialties that I would look for if I was looking for someone who has the ability to uh, flex in this is, is just someone who's really super detail-oriented and really, mm -hmm. really good at uh, being able to be, go under the the knife, you know, like because yeah. you're, you're we're talking about stressful situations, right? So like you have to be able to find somebody, and in your hiring process, you can weed those people out that are probably, frankly, not good for your business in general if they <laughs> they they shy away from stressful situations. But uh, someone who is, um, you know, exceptionally good at at uh, being under pressure for short periods of time. And I'm not saying that like the goal is to have people put under pressure all the time, but like, you should be able to have someone who is, who understands that there are sub optimal that, that can situations. go for that 20% of the time they can handle hundred yeah. percent of it. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And that really like I, Dustin's not on this call, but like I've known Dustin's team for a long time and like how he manages his team and, and their team has always been like one where I think of, of like that, that they can go under a lot, large amounts of pressure for short periods of time. And then when there's not that he rewards them with time, but like they're, they're very, you know, off on, off on, as opposed to, you know, like, well, I just want to make sure that my, you know, like, Oh, I had to work late one day, you know, like, so like, <laughs> it's was, that's what, so that's what was required, you know, or, a, or the two weeks of that or something like that, or three weeks. Like if you, like he's been really good at retaining his team members because he rewards them, um, with with that many weeks, you know, somewhere else in the year, and it really is the the work life balance is over a scale of time and not a yeah. short period of time, yeah. and it and not everybody realizes that honestly. Like some people, they remember the the bad, but they don't remember the good as much, mm -hmm. uh, and that there is yeah, you know kind of tendency to latch onto bad uh, moments for sure. Yeah, yeah. So and we're, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about those moments that are that are you know more stressful than others and not the plan, uh, and and not you know, going into it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think that that honestly ends up being the, in the makeup of, of the lifers in the events industry full stop. Like if you were to, you know, pull people that have been in the industry for 20 years, you would probably find that their ability to deal with, uh, high stress and to be able to, um, you know, put in the hours and put in the time and do whatever it takes and, and openness to do things that they haven't done before. You're going to find that those qualities are probably present in everyone who's been, you know, kind of a lifer. Um, and, and, and they've all been in situations with short staff for sure. So like maybe look at some of your veteran team members and say, and, and sort of figure out like, hey, what makes these people tick? They have survived these things that we're talking about before and yeah. maybe deconstruct them in order to look at the profiles of the people that you're looking at and maybe augment your hiring process to hire more people like those people. Nice. Okay. So I got another one that's not necessarily related to the, exactly the people, but related mm -hmm. to like your overall process. Mm -hmm. And this has kind of been something I've been talking a lot about when in general, I think a trend within events that needs to happen is like, you need to simplify your events, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that when your staff starts to get cut, you shouldn't be looking at doing 300 speakers in 300 breakout rooms, you know, with 16. Do you need the Kabuki drop, really? I mean. <laughs> yeah, do you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do you need the Kabuki drop? Do you need this crazy elaborate production? Or should you consider saying, hey, let's try a new, let's like, you know, take our hand out of the coconut with my favorite saying for the year, or like, let's truly crush the box and do something different and, and try something different. Like, I think that there's ways to accomplish this and, and these opportunities when you reduce staff, I see it as an opportunity for you to think differently about how you're running your, your event and also differently how you run your business too. So like, I think it's one of those things where like so many times we just see it as like, how can we accomplish the same thing with less resources? But in reality, it's like, how can I accomplish this new thing with less resources? And what you might find is that new thing you do is super duper successful. Um, you know, like I'll give an example is that like endless, as a business, um, we when we decided to, um, you know, have to scale down our sales department a long time, this years, like seven, eight years ago, it was around the time that I found about inbound marketing, we were just starting to do inbound marketing. And when I ended up having to scale down the sales department, and you know, had to redesign the business in a lot of ways, how we made money. I also gave me this opportunity to refresh and go after sales development, which allowed me to reach out to all the content leads and rebuild. I built a whole new sales team process around that. And that ended up being the ushering into us having our most successful year ever was a year that I made those changes to the business at the same time. And I think that like when it comes to your event, like you got to like let go in a lot of ways to simplify. If you, if it, it, you know, find out what's sucking up the most amount of time and get rid of those things and try something new. No, I think that's great. I think uh, oftentimes like that's what you hear is that either you have to go bigger and bigger and bigger every year uh, and that's success uh, or yeah. that you have to add more, add more and that's success. And the reality is, is that uh, yeah, I think it's going back to the basics of, of into event strategy before you get into the event plan itself mm -hmm. and say, like, what are we doing this for? Like, what really matters? And like you, what resonated with me initially that you'd said about like all the other breakout rooms, like I, I think that I see that so much of like just it, it, it almost seems like they they're they're hedging their bets because they're not sure what people want. So they just give yeah. them everything. It's like, uh, I don't know how I don't know these people well enough. So I'm going to give them a buffet of choices and they'll be sad. Like they'll be full at the end of it. You know, like I don't know what they eat, uh, but there may, what if there's <laughs> vegetarians in there? What if there's, you know, uh, people that, uh, you know, have this allergy or that. Meanwhile, you could just know who yeah. those people are and double down in your and in, in like what what is really important and uh to me from a strategy standpoint that comes down to uh 
asking a lot of questions and, and being transparent and not guessing. Cause I think that the yeah. guesswork makes yeah, more work. Yeah. It's like, yeah, when you create like a very hyper-focused strategy, it creates less work for everybody. Um, it, it should be, you know, and I, I think one of the, the challenges that we see like to kind of look at, this might be a little bit like a weird, con like a off topic comment, but like so many times too, like we settle into like the size of our team and just becomes the norm. And I'm not going to lie, like everybody feels this. And if you haven't felt this way at some point, then maybe there's a reduction in team that's necessary in the future for you. But is that like, sometimes we like, are like, this is the size of the team. And we need this and we need this many people and everything like that. And then like what ends up happening is you reduce that team and sometimes what ends up happening is people start going oh i didn't have as much work i didn't need to do that thing like i think like it's the what's the law of contraction is that like the amount of stuff like time that you, so many event you examples task, right yeah. like yeah exactly. how about you, if you if you set an hour to do a task it will take you an hour to do a task. Yeah. if you give yourself yeah. five minutes it will take you five minutes to room do flips same are my favorite example of that yeah 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 <laughs> that's such a great like yeah look at my times people are like this is impossible for yeah. us to take this general session and flip it into a meal room blah 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 and we're like oh my god this is nuts and then we ended up just like getting it done and we're like oh wow maybe we didn't need to do it that have that much gap yeah you find out a lot of times like i that's always been my example of like however much time you have for a room flip is exactly how long it will take yeah uh, which is which is hilarious uh you know the same amount of same same variables uh no I, I think that's great i think that like it you know the the idea of your your team size, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you also don't know, like, maybe who can rise above either. So like some of these challenges really show you who the leaders are in your organization and what they can accomplish. Um, to me, the, the thing that I'm the most interested in currently is looking at designing events with intention uh, that don't have it, that don't like have any extra or energy spent where that's not needed. And like I think of um, the idea that a lot of people are willing to consume content digitally now uh, and and want to get together. And when they get together, they're less. I think that there's less of a of a need for there to be all this content and more of a need for people to to actually just, you know, chat and, and come together and network. And I think that you can design events with a lot less moving parts where you do even things like flip classroom models where you give them the content ahead of time and you have them come together to discuss certain areas of it, uh, where it's, it's more about the peer discussions. Uh, mm -hmm. but ultimately if you, if you know, going into a situation that you have less, uh, ability to manage, um, lots of moving parts, I think from the very beginning, you should design something that doesn't require it because then it won't have holes. It won't be a less than experience. If you design something for what you can accomplish and not try to just say, this is how it is. It's like, okay, everything else has changed. Why shouldn't the design change as well to reflect the, the reality? And you might, find yourself then exploring new new styles of, of design and new styles of events and like that's the one example and there's lots and lots of different types of examples but i think of the flip classroom as one that i think requires less moving parts when it comes to event implementation like the, mm -hmm. just the fact that like if you had all these different tracks that were taking place simultaneously and each one of those requires you know all of the you know a person you know checking people in at the you know let, let's say if it's a staffing issue for the event company checking people in and scanning badges and uh speaker uh you know uh work you know to prime them and get them ready etc if you have less of those 
um, that are taking place at the at the event, and then the speakers are doing their content ahead of time, uh, and then distributing across your channel. Um, you have more time to plan for things, uh, you know, for each one of them, and you can give them, you know, you don't have to do it all in one one hour where you mm-hmm. need uh, six people in six different rooms. You can have one person managing that content creation. And then when you bring people together, if this is an instance of a live event or even if it's a virtual event, um, you can uh, sort of either house the content somewhere they can watch it on demand or just get right into the discussion part of it, like the Q&A or the or the uh, participatory element. Like that's an example of uh, a design that requires less moving parts. I'm sure there's dozens of them. Uh, and. And even the idea of spreading out your event and having micro events or a series of events, like ju- just saying, okay, like, look, this event doesn't, the, the ingredients have changed. So why wouldn't the recipe change? You know, like yeah. why yeah. you're in control, you, you, and if you do it with purpose and you, and you communicate and you're transparent with your attendees of like, Hey, this year, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to come from a place of we had, you know, people got sick or, um, we had layoffs or whatever. It's like, hey, we're we're streamlining what we're doing in order to to be the best we can be and to deliver you what we know we can deliver at an excellent level, uh, and that requires uh, a renewed focus on the fundamentals or the mm-hmm. or the renewed focus on back to basics. Yeah, exactly. Like if you do it like that, the expectations are set as such. And the buy-in will happen much easier, and it won't be like, "Why isn't this like every other year?" Oh, I wasn't like the other year. Like if they go into it knowing that, even even the events that we went to as event professionals, where we went to conferences like last year, like our expectations were different. We were, we weren't like, "Oh my gosh, where did everybody go?" It's like we know where they went. Yeah, and the expectations if they're set, you know, we, I guess we had an, epi- an an episode about when the expectations aren't set as from exhibitors, <laughs> uh, but if the if the expectations are set and are are managed, you know, ahead of time, and there's buy in, uh, then uh, there's really no loss, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's just you know you're just doing it uh, as I, I don't know, I just feel like we underestimate our attendees. I think we don't involve them in the process enough, uh, and then we also think that we have to deliver them the exact same uh experience over and over again uh, or they'll get mad it's like no yeah. t- have a conversation down down with cookie cutter events for sure yeah okay i got one i got one more thing as like it's a final like also i think bigger trend into the industry you got anything else that, as far as tips that you would have when people are executing on a reduced staff i mean project management and and good and good notes from the previous year that's the other bit of when you lose somebody is that the, the, one of the the secret ingredients of successful events is continuity of team, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and the notes of like the, you know, immediate uh, post uh, wrap up of the event of like lessons learned. If you're not I mean, those are probably the most important things to implement for the for the previous or the, the continuous year. Uh, I would say that like having a really tight wrap up of, of that event uh, is all should be all the lessons learned and all of the. Uh, like, frankly, some of the most important pieces of, of, of information that you gained from from this, uh, th- those would be things that I would include in the in the project management uh, that uh, technology that you use in order to house that. That's wicked smart. Like I'm thinking, I was thinking about documentation purely in like a wiki kind of form, but like, you know, for example, at Endless, we do base camp for all of our clients. And the reason why yep. we do this is that like, it's very clear on what's going on and it adds a lot of transparency, but like, 
one great thing is that if, you know, this is why, like, if a cl client's come to us and let's say we have a transition in terms of who's managing their account, you know, like, all the com communication happens in the comments inside of Basecamp and everything like that. We don't, you know, we... Oh, so I did a write, write board in Basecamp yeah, at the yeah. end of the event. Nice. Uh, and and then that ended up being like that that augments. So then I would archive the event, and then if you know you get to do the event the next year, yeah. I would unarchive the event in Basecamp, and then I would uh, before I started reassigning uh, tasks and looking at things, I would look at the the lessons learned at the end of it, nice. uh, and, and I would just bank all that stuff in one place, and then it just you know you you dig it up again, and then your your notes are there. Yeah, and like one thing that we do, and I think you can do this in Basecamp too. Like we do it to our CRM, but like we I log every email and call. Every call is recorded. Yeah. Every thing like so like you know if you really like wow. unless someone decided to Let's like, <laughs> not log their emails and sure. decide to use a personal cell phone rather than the business cell phone, like you we have everything. So in theory, if we re if you really need it, if someone went away, like you can get that information. That attention retention of information is just like huge. But it you know like I think that your point of like using a project management software makes it a lot easier to replicate which is why like you know on assembly lines they give you a checklist they say like here you go because it can you can quickly give someone a checklist what to follow on here so yeah that's a, that's a solid point when i unarchive things like again the, the first the first piece i go to before i look at everything that was done beforehand is if you don't do anything if you skip that step what you get is you know no progress right you get the same event i mean and there's something to be said yeah. about you know, like not having to reinvent the wheel on certain aspects of it, for sure. Like not everything and actually not even the majority of things need to be changed just to change it. However, if there are anything that you wished you would have changed and you kind of like run that meeting like that, like how would you do this differently? If you're talking to yourself a year from now, what would you want? That's the stuff that goes in in like a whiteboard uh, on, on Basecamp or whatever that's called now. I miss Basecamp yeah. so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in like Jira land, which I... <laughs> Wish I was not. That's why I get for going in event technology world, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, for okay. sure. It's it, a agile, you know, agile yeah. environments uh, for technology are different styles of project management, unfortunately, than <laughs> the traditional event, uh, you know, uh, project management. But I, uh, I used to teach Basecamp to people like, uh, awesome. yeah, I love it. Basecamp so great. simple. I, I got one last one. You, re you ready for me to bombshell everybody? Or sure. Okay. So my last final thought when it comes to like, how do you execute events on a reduced staff relates to communicating your value and talking directly to the C-level um, mm. when it comes to things, you know, like this is probably, I think more targeted. Don't reduce your staff. Yeah. yeah <laughs> bro, this I mean, this is a preactive thing to do too. It's like, if you do this, it also prevent, prevents this from happening. But a lot of times when staff, like we're talking about, like in the case of recessions or, you know, cost cuts due to a pandemic, you know, like C-level has to make these cut decisions to save profitability of the business. Mm. A lot of times those cuts get made because they don't see how that's going to necessarily generate the ROI that they need in terms of the wages and those sort Good of things. Point. But if you, you know, we talk about why it's so important to engage in conversations with your C executives because we're trying to demonstrate our value for events as part of the entire marketing stack or deciding that you want to create a community and what that involves as part of your larger marketing strategy. Like these things are really, really important to have conversations at the C level portion. And if you're having these active conversations, when they decide that they need to make cost cuts, instead of them just deciding we're, we're going to get rid of that second event manager or whatever it may be, they can go to the team that's managing and say, so talk to us through like what what where maybe there's a, a cost that we can cut what what was not a necessary role they can you can be a part of those conversations so it doesn't get that it's just three weeks out from the event you lose your secondhand person to be able to help you out so you know like for in general like if you want to have make event your role 
so valuable and you want to make sure that you can get more budget and you want to make sure that your staff doesn't get caught, it starts by being involved in higher conversations than what are the linens to have, but are about how does this event actually achieve our business goals? Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's the premise of, uh, I think something like four years of me presenting the, uh, MPI, uh, event marketing <laughs> strategist, uh, uh, five hour course. Uh, it was, it was about showing your worth, uh, specifically to the C-suite, uh, by, by learning their language and, and getting yourself out of the silo that you've either been put in or you made, uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal. It really is. I mean, it's the difference between uh, you being a luxury and you being a necessity. Uh, likely, uh, you're a necessity to the organization. They just can't put it on a spreadsheet, uh, and it's very difficult for them to be able to communicate to the rest of maybe a board or or what have you uh, of why you. Uh, I mean, I, I've been a part of these conversations as a consultant and as a team member, as far as you know, having to make cuts and it's, it's really about redundancies frequently and like what you can accomplish and, um, what you can't without a certain person. And like it generally, uh, the people who are e the most easy to protect are the people that you can tie to revenue generation. Mm -hmm. So the other way I would augment that is to, is to not only should you, uh, be able to speak the language of, of the C-suite and to put what you do in, like, like Will said, into the greater, um, uh, marketing, uh, stack, like, uh, uh, I guess like getting yourself out of your own event silo and getting and being part of the uh, sales and marketing cycle, I would say that, uh, and then also knowing how you have the ability to help them maybe to potentially find new revenue. Like mm -hmm. if you have that, you know, you're like, look, I can, you know, give me, you know, X amount of months and I can potentially utilize the skill sets of these people to be revenue generating uh, more mm -hmm. so then um, no one ever cuts you know, when you're looking at your cuts and there's new opportunities for revenue generation it's generally uh, you know it's one or the other like there's not a lot of organizations that are not is it a cost center or is it a revenue center <laughs> yeah, yeah if anyone who's you know truly empowered uh, and not just you know saying I've got to cut three people because I've got to cut three people like if someone who is actually empowered they'll listen to that because it's the same thing really it's mm -hmm. you know uh, it's revenue generation or saving the, the business money. Actually, revenue generation is more important because that has the potential to, you know, turn the tide the other way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I think that's great. I think that uh, event event people need to do that every day. You know, every day you need to uh, put the con. It's, it's really up to you and it's the onus is on you to put what you do in the context of the greater uh, organizational goals and not just your goals and not just your checklists. Uh, you know, of, of like check, of like you said, linens or chicken or whatever. It's about, <laughs> you know, it's about customer lifetime value and it's about, uh, you know, lead generation and it's about the impact that you have. Like you should know if you're an organization, especially putting on internal events or well, lead generating events, you should be able to know the difference between the conversion rate of someone who attends your events versus someone who doesn't uh, to be able to say like, look, you know, if we, if we expand the attendance by 30%, uh, 10% of those 30% will become, you know, five year, uh, you know, uh, customers and that the, the average net, uh, income for that is this, like, you should be able to speak in that, that terminology, like increasing ticket sales increases the, the overall profitability of our company by X. Like those are the kinds of simple cocktail math that is just, that could save your job because it's like, well, mm -hmm. these people are out there 
making opportunities for us. They're they're their eyes on the ball and they're not they're not just doing a job to do a job. I think that's the fear uh, that that C-suite has with certain team members at a certain point is that they're working, uh, they're doing tasks, but they're not centered on what really matters, which is growing the business. Uh, if you can show them that there's a straight line between the work that you do and uh, the business outcomes that everyone is focused on, and specifically they're focused on, uh, even tying yourself to like new campaigns or new you know projects. Uh, that have a budget, uh, maybe in tying what you do into other budgets, uh, skills that you could apply to internal events to, to shelter yourself with some HR, mix it up, like become more intricately uh, connected to the overall business goals of your of your organization. And you'll find that you're you're just much more protected. Yep. hundred percent. Man, this is an awesome conversation. I like how we like we not only we're talking about like the reactive nature, but also the future proactive nature too. And like yeah, on a team member level, on an organizational yeah. level, like what you can do to to you know from your in the middle of an organization to be able to, you know, like hey, document yourself, make yourself. Uh, it's it seems counterintuitive to like make yourself in you know uh, not make yourself so um, reliant on you, but in fact, in fact, everyone's replaceable. So just take that as a as a thing. Uh, <laughs> make yourself irreplaceable, not by hoarding uh, information, but by the mentality that you have. Like people, they'll, they'll refigure out. If you figured it out, they'll refigure it out. It, it's, but they don't figure out as how to, to make it something that is repeatable and it's consistent and it can be passed on to other people. Like that's the only way for you to advance on that level. And then there's, you know, there's, there's lots of, I think we talked about this from a lot of different angles. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we'd, we'd love to know from our audience out there listening right now, shoot us an email, eventbrew at helloendless.com. Let us know, you know, what sort of ways that you deal when you have a reduced staff, how you effectively manage your events and, uh, you know, make them even better, um, even when you are short-staffed on there too. We'd love to hear from you. Also, feel free to hashtag eventbrew on LinkedIn, uh, which is probably the area that we spend most of our time in now. So shoot us over on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah. I think uh, I think we'll we'll get out of, out of this one. This was a this was a good one, Nick. Yeah, I mean, biggest picture, simplest terms. Also, just take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm. This stuff could happen to all of us. You know, make mm -hmm. sure that you're in a in a fit place, that you're mentally prepared. Take breaks when you can take breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you know, don't uh, don't burn yourself out before these kind of things happen. <laughs> Yeah, because when they do happen, you they can get burnt out sometimes when they happen too. So yeah. that's a great point. Great point, Nick. Cool. Well, th thanks, Nick, for, for joining. It was an awesome episode. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you too, man. And thanks to our audience for listening as well. But we're going to get out of here. Brew Crew signing off. This has been the Brew Crew. And uh, we'll catch you next time on the Event Brew. See ya. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew. Event Brew.